0: Hello, hello! Welcome to "Why Not Me: Turning Trials into Triumphs, Seeking and Embracing Success." I'm your host, Coach Todd Halls. I'm super grateful uh, and excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'm very excited uh, to share our listener with you today. Our guest today, uh, Tommy Newberry. Tommy is the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of "The Four Eight Principle" and "Success Is Not an Accident." He's the founder and head coach of achieving optimal. Uh, in addition to that, uh, and, and and more importantly, at least in my brain, uh, Tommy is a husband. He's a dad. He's a, he's a man of faith. And I can't wait to uh, learn and gain some wisdom from him. So with that, Tommy, if you
1: would, fill in whatever else you would like our listeners to know. Sure. Yeah. And thanks for having me, Todd. Um... I this is my thirty first year, believe it or not, of uh, coaching. I uh, when it gets to be October, that'll be a full thirty one years. And my niche over all that time has been helping Christian entrepreneurs who want to get to the next level uh, financially, but they they find it unacceptable to uh, compromise their faith, their health, um, or their family. And so that's been kind of my niche is to work with clients over the long haul. I've I literally was in a room last Thursday with clients that have been working with me 27, 28 years straight. I, I've seen some of these entrepreneurs every quarter uh, since the the mid 90s, and it's powerful. And we had new entrepreneurs in there as well. But that's that's kind of my my passion is is when I got out of when I got out of college. I did a couple, you know, I spent a couple of years doing other unrelated things, but I was coaching baseball and I was teaching some train. I was training uh, in the software uh, industry, and I realized that I love to coach and teach. And but where I really wanted to apply that was either baseball and <laughs> and so that wasn't the best path for me or helping people. And it had always been a curiosity to me of why do some people with so much talent not go very far and then some people with less talent go really far like like I was a good solid b athlete but I went further than my talent should have allowed me to go because I was willing even in high school even in middle school really middle school and high school and college to outwork my teammates and outwork the competition to make good use of my discretionary time. And I have since realized that being born with B talent is a real blessing because you have enough talent to do something with it, but not so much that you get cocky or complacent and you think you don't have to work. So I passed a lot of people that had A talent with my B talent. And then once I got in the business world, I realized. That's even more true uh, in the business world about people not realizing how to apply themselves at the highest level. And that became a passion for me. And then from a faith standpoint, it was kind of crazy. Like I noticed this is in the early 90s that there were a lot of Christians out there who just completely rejected leadership, personal growth. I mean, I remember going to a big Tony Robbins event in 1992, and it was amazing. And there was so much powerful material and great principles. And even at that age, when I was pretty young, I wasn't married yet, um, I could filter out what was truth and what wasn't. Yet there were so many people around me that were like, oh, no, you know, I can't, those, you know, the, is that, Mind control, is goal setting going to displace God? And and I honestly thought it was ridiculous. And so I, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to make it my mission to focus on believers because the world needs more people who are Christian, elevating themselves to leadership positions, starting their own businesses, becoming influential in a progressively secular world we need Christian leaders. And so before you can have that influence, you've got to do well. And that has been my passion. I, I, uh, One last thing that I'll say that kind of emphasizes my philosophy is your success blesses others. When, when you do well, lots of people benefit and you don't do the world any favors. You don't do the kingdom any favors by buying into being average or mediocre. So... If if I didn't call what I did, you know, achieving optimal, I'd call it, you know, fighting mediocrity. You know, and it's no better place to fight it than in the Christian world.
0: I love that. Love, I love the background and the why. Um the but you started with talking about how the 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 B athletes sometimes often outperform. And I've seen this play out, and I've warned I've got a 15-year-old son, I've warned him about this because he's naturally got some athletic ability and like time and again, you see the gifted kids that gifted junior high students not starting their senior year because they get this, this attitude that they can coast and and it, yeah. and it leads to mediocrity. So how did you as a person at, at a pretty young age, how did you flip that switch to know that, look, I'm going to, I'm going to use my discretionary time. So did you have somebody influencing you like, what was that process like when you were just like, I'm going to do it this way?
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm so, my baseball career did not end up where I wanted it to end up, but um, from age six to age 20, I, I ate, slept, dreamt baseball. I just loved it. And um, I still love what it did for me. It It kept me on the straight and narrow, by and large. It, because I had big aspirations, that's a side benefit of goals, by the way, is when you have big aspirations as a young person, it they serve a little bit as a north star, and they say, "Well, it, are these other behaviors consistent with your goals or not?" And so I, I had early success, and then as I got older, I kept working hard. And of course, the competition gets bigger. Everybody's growing and kind of catching up with you. And I, I had a goal to play at the highest level in baseball, and When I set that goal, so to get to the major leagues, so when I set that goal, I I then saw a different world out there. I saw people playing really well who didn't practice very much, and then I saw people practicing a lot and not playing so well. In other words, every iteration you could think of, and so it got me curious, why do some people succeed and others don't? And by success, I'm meaning generally, you know, reach the goals that they set in the first place. And um, it was fascinating to me. I can't even explain what generated that curiosity, except I think it was sports for me. And then it has spread to everything else. And then fortunately, I had a, a, good, a great role model, not a good one, a great one in my father who started a business, and it went well for a while, and then it didn't go so well, and then it went really bad, and then he had to start over and start another business, and then he learned from that, and so I got those life lessons growing up, not only from his character, but from how to be successful, and and he always had goals, and he he focused on habits, building the right habits, and he said, Tommy, if you will uh, choose the right habits and then stick with them over a period and he was very specific he said over a period of a decade or more he goes it will transform your life but the catch is to identify the right habits from the get-go and so in my coaching today with with christian entrepreneurs it's like it's most of them come in and they have a degree of success and they're kind of like they have the bronze and they want to get the you know, the silver or the gold, but it's like their habits are not lined up with their aspirations. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how nice a person they are, you know, how great a family uh, person they are. It doesn't matter about really anything. It's, It's what you do that determines where you go. So we have a big emphasis on establishing the processes in somebody's life that will take them to where they want to go because the, the right goal with the wrong process or the wrong method won't get you where you want to go. And so we just apply that to the entrepreneurial world.
0: Sure, so most of your um, your clients, when they first engage with you, have they already thought about where they want to go? And I, So I bring that up because I'm having conversations with people and I'm asking you, where, where, where do you see your business in three years? Where do you see it next year? Okay, where do you see your personal life? Where do you, where do you want to be personally? And the response I typically get is, well, I haven't thought about me. I, I'm focused on my business and complete disregard. And then there's other people who I've talked to that, you know, what's what's your vision for the business? Well, I don't know, to keep it open. Uh, and so just curious, like most of the time when they engage with you, how far, where are they on that
1: spectrum? On that
0: spectrum? What, what
1: I found is they they have at one point had a clear vision. And then when they hit that first tier of success or that second tier, whatever it was for them, they, they, ha- they were very busy. They were very active, but they hit that first vision. And so then there's a little bit of a blind spot in that they haven't re-established a vision for the future that pulls them into the future. So they're stalling out just a little bit. But most of them will tell you honestly that they, they are clear on these things. And I, I kind of, I laugh having done this for quite a while. You give me 10 or 15 minutes with somebody and I'll ask them a few questions and then they will realize the lack of clarity that they have. And in fact, I think lack of clarity about future direction is, is probably the number one cause of, of underperformance that exists. And, and that's not just on the business side or personal performance. It's also in marriage, You know, not having a clear vision for where the relationship is going or how we can grow together. Um, in the same direction is a big problem. So they come in, they think they're clear, but I bet deep down there's a little bit of acknowledgement that they have some fuzziness because that's why they reached out to me. You know, that's why they completed the application for the program and so forth. And then when they get in, they realize, okay, I'm not as clear as I need to be. Let's lay out that vision. And we always lay out the personal vision first. So I do have corporate clients. I do speaking engagements with, you know, in in big venues and so forth. But my love, my passion is small business owners. And small business owners uh, notoriously don't have that clarity of where they're going long term. So I like to get the clarity on the personal side first and then let the business, why does the business exist? Well, to serve the customers, to take good care of them, but also to produce the life that you want. And too often, an ambitious entrepreneur, a good person, will work hard, put their head down and they'll work, 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 and they'll see what comes out at the end, almost like at the end of the factory. And that's okay, There's, that's not like bad, But I think it's better to go, what kind of life do you want? Um, We call it a master vision. What kind of life do you want? Okay, in light of the life that you want, what kind of goals do you need to set? And what does your business need to look like? How do we need to reshape your business given your vision? Because the goals need to line up with the vision. The processes need to line up with the vision. And sometimes people are just busy running their business.
0: Sure, sure. The this process of getting clear on, on, on where you want to go, like what are the steps? Is the secret formula? Is it different for everybody? Like if if one of our listeners is like, well, you know, I'm kind of fuzzy. How how do I how do I get clear? They can engage with you. What if they want to start on their own? What would you what one
1: or two steps would you have anybody take? Yeah, pick a point in the future, um, as far out as you can go and and have some degree of uh, confidence that you know what it looks like, let's say a decade. But if, if a decade's too far, then say five years. And then what I would say is define what optimal would look for like for you in in 10 or 12 sentences. I mean, in other words, this is something. Anybody listening can do today, same day, or in the next 24 hours, sit down, get up a half hour earlier, and write out in the present tense, what is everything that you would like to be 100% true in your life a decade from now that is not 100% true today? So financially, income, revenue, net worth, giving, saving, everything. What what does your workday look like? Uh, describe the quality and the habits in your marriage, relationships with the kids, what kind of health and fitness levels do you have, body fat, blood pressure, uh, activity level. In other words, where are you living? I'm living in Boca Raton and loving it. You know, literally that would be one line. And so some things may be 90% true in your life now, some things may be 0% true, some 20, but you lay everything out that if you if you went to bed tonight i think you'll like this if you went to bed tonight and you're like you're pretty feeling pretty grateful for your life now but when you wake up tomorrow it's supernaturally overnight it's become 10 years into the future and you woke up to the, your optimal life what is everything that would be true and people struggle with it but if they can't answer that question how do they know what to do next when you really think about it, so they have a vague sense of what they want their life or their business to look like, but they don't have a clear sense. And so, to me, it's almost like until you can't pass go until you do the clarity work. And any investment, which ends up not being that much, but any investment upfront to get clear saves time, effort, resources, and frustration on the back end flailing around. You know, and making bad decisions, spending your resources in the bad, bad things, getting the wrong partner to come on, and so forth.
0: Sure. So, is this part of what you do? It's the your Super Focus
1: Program, right? Is this part of that process? Absolutely. Um, the, the first step in the Super Focus Program it's a it's a monthly based virtual coaching program, So we have people participating from all over the world. And uh, the first thing they do is they get clear on their master vision. And I lead them through a process in our orientation. I mean, that's like immediately, you know, after they sign up, this was a in-person program for two decades. And then during COVID, um, we decided, hey, how how can we use this shutdown lockdown experience to reach more people. We didn't know whether there was an answer to that question, but we just started playing around with it and we released one version and then we released a second version. And so every month there's a new lesson that's pre-recorded in a curriculum style, but the part I love the most is every month there's a live coaching session, kind of like what we're doing here. And um, I lead people through reflection, self-evaluation, answer their questions, share victories, and uh, so it's fun, and it's kind—it's of, it's a, a cool community, but nothing happens until you get that clarity about what you want, why you want it, and how you're going to go about getting it. And then, then all of a sudden, you start noticing with with increased clarity. You start noticing, hey, that resource would be valuable to me. I need to engage in that relationship. Um, what I'm doing in the evening really does not have a good return. My diet is out of whack. If I keep eating like this, even if I hit my economic goals, I'm not going to be able to enjoy the fruits. Um, Hey, I need to get my wife on board or my husband on board. Uh, We're kind of like two ships passing in the night. We need to correct that before any more time passes. Those kinds of things. So, So we hit, we force you to address the personal side of life as well. So we, we are not just business, although I think that's very important. It's a passion of mine. I want to help Christians reach their economic potential so they can have more influence on the world. Uh, that's kind of the bottom line. But we will not work with anybody who says, hey, I don't want to touch the, the personal side. I just want to be business. I said, well, you know, I did that in the 90s and early 2000s, but I haven't worked you know, with those kinds of conditions for quite a while.
0: Yeah, I don't, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't know how you, I guess, um, tactically, I understand how you could do just the business. But when you're working with an entrepreneur business leader, I don't know how they can approach it thinking that the two could be separated. Yes, I agree. It's so intertwined. Um, It's kind
1: of a gift that it's intertwined and it's kind of a curse, right? You know, (laughs) you... You go home. My dad used to joke about this. He said, one thing, he was kind of warning me. He says, one thing, if you start your own business, Tommy, he said, just remember, uh, when you get home, your boss is going to be there. In other words, you, everybody else in the world, normal people, you know, normal non-entrepreneurs get to go home and have a break from the boss. But if you are the boss, um, there's freedom, but there's some constraints, which is the business is always there, you know, and there's the temptation to make it a 24 seven thing, which is not good. Um, but it's ultimately a great opportunity.
0: You bring up the, the well, it's, it's kind of the, the state that we live in now, um, where uh, I shouldn't say it that way. It's always been as the entrepreneur, as the business owner, you're, yeah, your boss is at home with you. Um, in the last twenty years or so, due to technology, we can work twenty four seven. We even you know it used to be you'd leave the job, or even as the boss, maybe you'd leave the job site or leave the office, and there was some separation. And it seems that it's there's less separation now. Like it's easier for work to infiltrate everything. So what um, what disciplines, if you could if you could offer some some input on how we can structure as entrepreneurs and business owners, what structures, protections do we need to put in place to protect that time away from work? From work?
1: Yeah, uh, that's very important because I think the temptation for anybody with a good work ethic is to seize any moment that is free to get ahead. And there's nothing wrong with that, except we also need to rejuvenate ourselves, and we need a break, and we need to give our spouses and our kids our undivided attention. So we really advocate having boundaries for the day. In other words, a a set time that the day is over, and um, meaning the work day that no more work is going to be done until you've had at least until you've had time with family had time to get your workout in if you hadn't got it in and that kind of thing. Preferably there's a digital sunset where, you know, you turn off your devices at a certain, I've never had anybody do it successfully without a game plan, meaning yeah, you know, I don't care, make it 9 PM, make it 10 PM, make it 7 PM, but choose, make a decision and decide when am I going to disengage from my devices and then disconnect from the devices? And some people have trained their their clients to need them 24-7. Uh, and that's unfortunate, but they can kind of gradually be untrained. So if if you pick a certain time for a digital sunset, I think that is great. That means computers go off. Phones go, phones and iPads and so forth go into a silent mode where there's no notifications, and you don't look at them for the rest of the night, and then have rules, you know, that that you're going to do all of your family obligations and health and fitness and do your devotion and all that kind of thing prior to opening up the backpack and getting the laptop out and re-digging into the work, which sometimes is necessary but if it becomes a habit it's not healthy for relationships it's not healthy for your body or your mind and in the long run i think it's counterproductive um so i think we need that rejuvenation we also do a couple of things that that have been amazingly powerful and that's we have something called a nighttime success ritual ntsr sounds like a government agency but it's not fortunately. Um, NTSR, nighttime success ritual, and this is just a group of of premeditated activities that you do to ensure that you get a good night's sleep and that you're prepared for a strong start to the morning, and we have a, a, a sibling routine for the morning. We call it an EMSR, so early morning success ritual. So we bookend our days. This is something that is like priority day one in in all of our coaching not just in super focus but in all of our coaching it's we help clients establish an early morning success ritual where they work on their spiritual disciplines where they do a physical workout or physical activity of some kind they consume healthy nutrients in a shake or coffee or whatever it is and that they review their goals mission and priorities. So it's mind body spirit or you could say spiritual, physical and directional. And that's the morning. And that should be before anybody else is up in the house. And that's a million dollar habit in my mind, in my experience. And then then the day then you work all day long best you can, get home, enjoy your family, and then sometime in the evening, it can be just a few minutes, you get your nighttime success ritual going, and it might be as simple as, you know, organizing your backpack with your laptop and making sure that all of your uh, electronics are charged properly, identifying your top priorities for the next day, um, laying out your exercise clothes if you're going to work out first thing in the morning, opening up your Bible and your devotional to exactly where you're going to start, getting the coffee brewed. I mean, it's kind of silly. I, I joke that I have found it very helpful for for grownups to treat themselves like kindergartners, you know, where they have a bedtime routine. Yeah. And so, in addition to those preparatory things, it's also setting the you know the bedroom temperature to where it's conducive to quality sleep. Making sure there's not lights on, or if your spouse is going to bed at a different time, that you have an eye cover, or earbuds, or You know, there's no lights flashing, no sound. In other words, sleep is so important. So that's why we have the NTSR. And I think if you, so if you combine it, I'll distill it all together. You have your early morning success ritual, gets you off to a fast start. You close the day with a nighttime success ritual. And then you pick a slightly earlier time that you said, this is it. Work is absolutely over at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. And you have that digital sunset. Those things are tactical you can put them into practice immediately. You don't need to be perfect with them, but you want to get better with them uh, over time.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, There's immense
1: value.
0: Good, good. Listening, there's immense value in what Tommy just shared. So go back, listen to it again, write it down and start practicing uh, the NTSR and the EMSR. you so as you've been talking, you mentioned several times uh, getting a workout in, health, then your workout goes. So, I get the impression that some sort of physical activity is almost a non-negotiable in
1: your in, in one of your programs. It's, it it sure is, and um, you know it's a little bit common sense. It's just particularly for entrepreneurs, it's it's often not common practice because there's so many responsibilities that are getting juggled and. You know, as an entrepreneur, if you realize you've got six or seven emails that you have to return, or there's a revenue-producing proposal that you promise by 9 a.m. and you haven't done it yet, or you've got to catch up on some reading for a presentation, you know, whatever the reason is, it's crazy how the workout will get pushed back. And I have just I've coached more. You know, I'm up around 1500 clients now 30 years 30 different industries and there. I mean right up there with having quiet time with the Lord is having that w- daily workout that that is demanding um, I'm not just talking about walking the dog that's good too uh particularly walking the dog with a spouse or child or something but I'm talking about something that places a demand on your physical body and that just needs to be done and then you need to challenge yourself spiritually and and I like the phrase you know you got your physical fitness and your spiritual fitness and and the only way you can get spiritually fit is by exercising your faith and by learning and growing and the same thing is true with um with fitness we ha- we have people on you know, from 20 years old and our coaching to in their late seventies. And I sometimes joke with, with the older members, I'll say, you know, who are over, let's say over 65 or something. I'll say, I don't want to hear that you're doing old man exercises, you know uh, you know, with the little dumbbells, you know, that, um, uh, that a kid could do a little kid, a toddler could do you, you want to keep growing. We can grow spiritually indefinitely we can grow mentally indefinitely. I'm a big advocate of memorizing Bible verses, for example. We can grow. Our marriage can be better every year. We can grow relationally. Uh, we can grow in maturity. Um, and we can get stronger. Uh, there are previous generations didn't realize this, but you and I can be stronger a decade from now than we are today. Um, we may not be, but we have that capability if we so choose. And why why the emphasis on the fitness because lack of energy often leads to laziness and um, i mean good intention people uh i've been there you know you, you if you lose your energy that fuel you know what happens is you don't have those hard conversations with your wife or your husband mm-hmm. uh you 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 start sleeping in a little bit extra and you don't have quiet time you know in the morning with your devotion so it's a it's a slippery slope, and I kind of feel like it's you pay yourself first, you know you 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 take care of yourself first, so you can take care of your family, you can take care of your team at the office, and then you can take care of uh, your customers, and and it's I I think that emphasis probably, decade by decade has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger uh, with our coaching.
0: Love that, love that. So. Um, in a, in addition to how we perform and show up as leaders in business, right? That energy level you talked about, and and you're right. Things things turn to start to slip. A couple of things I've noticed is when we when somebody begins the process of just working out if they haven't in a while, in a very short time, they you see marked improvements in their posture and just how they show up. And I think there's something inside that values the fact that we value ourselves enough to invest the time. Like, oh, the body recognizes, the brain recognizes, oh, he's taking care of me, she's taking care of me, and it just I love,
1: uh, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's the same thing as you know. Let's say you have a real clean dinner. I think mm-hmm. when you get up from that dinner and you've had some chicken and some broccoli and a salad and it's all kind of clean, not only do you benefit from the actual nutrients. But I think you—it's kind of like you sense you gave yourself a gift, and um, the exercise is the same way. So you do it at four o'clock in the afternoon, you do it at noon, you do it at six a.m. But there's something special about doing it in the morning, and um, that's not an absolute in my book. But but success rates on people who exercise in the morning is is far better than those who say they'll exercise after work because fatigue, distractions, social invitations, and so forth come up. But think about this. Let's say you exercise at six in the morning or seven in the morning, you get a victory. And I just think that's a a mindset edge. It's a psychological advantage. So you just got off the Stairmaster, the treadmill, kind of tough, you didn't really want to do it, but you did it. So when you go get cleaned up, take a shower and all that, it's kind of like you had a victory. Mm-hmm. And just getting out of bed and getting dressed and rushing out the door with a cup of coffee, you know, hoping you won't be late to wherever you're going, that there's no victory there. So if you have a victory early, you have more confidence. You have more confidence, you're going to set bigger goals. You set bigger goals, you're going to have a greater chance of reaching bigger goals, asking for the deal, asking for the order. Um, you just carry yourself better. So when I say all those things, it makes me wonder why I would ever skip a workout. But, you know, hu- human nature is, is funny, funny, isn't it? Yeah, it is.
0: It is. Uh, what comes to mind right now is uh, Jim Rohn, you know, he's, he's like, well, working out, it's easy to do. It's also easy not to do. Right? And so, yeah, oh, yeah. Got away. I'll just, I'll just miss today.
1: Yeah. Uh, I love Jim Rohn. The problem with the, with the missing one day is it makes it so easy to miss the second day. And then, we then the head junk comes in you miss one
0: it makes it easy to miss two about the time you miss two or three then that voice pops up and says all you're off track again you screwed up again just forget about it
1: you you can't succeed at this yeah there's no urgency to pick back up again once once you're in that spot It's it's all i love that head junk it's all head junk yeah uh
0: and so speaking of head junk you mentioned um having a good meal and rewarding kind of that, that self-reward. And as we've talked about technology, when I think about health, it's, it's, it's mental and physical. Um, and consumption is a big part of that, right? What, what, what we allow into our bodies. So I know that if I eat a bag of chips, uh, it's not going to do the same for me as if I have an apple, for instance, right? It's what, what's what I'm feeling with. And it, it seems a lot of the times we we've, Overlook that with our mind, with our eyes and our ears. What are we allowing in? And as as I'm being, and that's something I would coach my clients with is what are you allowing in? Which brings us really to the 4-8 principle, doesn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Unpack the 4-8 principle for us, if you will. Yeah, I, I love the, the 4-8 principle is a book, but the 4-8 principle more than that is a principle. Uh, a foundational principle for life that is rooted in Philippians 4.8. And this is where the apostle Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is lovely, pure, true, gracious, just, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Different translations, it says meditate on these things, think deeply on these things, or in the amplified, it says fix your mind on these things. And so that's pretty powerful. Uh, if I just make it modern. It's it's finally focus on the good stuff. You know, it's focus on the good stuff. And so Paul, to give this context, when he wrote this, he was in prison, in chains, and under guard. And according to most biblical scholars, he was knee-deep to waist-deep in sewage. And so, I mean, it redefines a bad day, you know, He's, he's in those awful circumstances, that adversity, and he looked up and he he wrote, think on the things that are lovely, pure, excellent, brilliant, noble, of good rapport, and it tells us something. It tells us that, number one, he was well ahead of his time psychologically, but that, that our World is not automatically positive, and we're not automatically positive, but nor are we hopelessly negative. In other words, Paul knew that we could go either direction, so he said, well, if you want to experience joy at the highest level, you have to think thoughts that produce joy, thoughts that are lovely, pure, true, gracious, just, excellent, and worthy of praise. So in short, the 4A principle says we feel what we dwell upon. We feel what we dwell upon. And if we feel rotten about our spouse, that does not mean our spouse did something rotten. It They might have, to be fair, but more often than not, it means that you are replaying and reminding yourself of something that bothers you about your spouse. Um, same thing with the world. Uh, we feel what we dwell upon if we If we feel rotten, it may mean something rotten has happened, but more often than not, it means that we are zeroing in, we are zooming in on the broken, on the deficient, and on the things that dissatisfy us, and we're ignoring or deleting the things that we're grateful for, the things that are beautiful, the things that are worthy of praise, and it's easy to get into a habit of... Dwelling on the wrong things. And so I like to remind people that every moment is a new beginning. So you, you may lose your cool, your thinking may go south, you may get into that head junk for a couple of minutes or an hour, but the next moment can be a new beginning. In other words, you don't need to beat yourself up. You can change the channel. It's just like you pick up the remote and you change the channel. And, and you just kind of, you could say a prayer if you want. You just think, what do, what do I love about the person I'm married to? What do I love about where I live? What do I love about my boss or my difficult customer? And then the second thing I already said is, so each moment's a new beginning, and then we feel what we dwell upon. So we should monitor how we feel, not worship how we feel. And today in our culture, we are instructed directly and indirectly to follow our feelings. And that's not biblical. There's Old Testament, New Testament. There's not one passage that says, if you feel it, do it. It's it's follow the principles of God. And the third thing you were touching on, which I love, is we've got to junk proof our minds because uh, we soak up our surroundings. So I call it positive mental nutrition, but it's what we read, watch, listen to, and surf what we read, watch, and listen to need to line up, first of all, with the person that God wants us to be. But Second of all, and it should be congruent with with our goals. And um, so that's, you know, what are you watching at night, you know, on TV? What are you looking at on social media? What are you looking at on your, your laptop? What are you listening to in the car? Um, what books Are you actually reading? What articles are you zooming in on? Is that, does it pass the 4-8 test? So it's hard to be perfect and the age we're living in makes this more difficult than ever. But um, what goes in, it's really, you know, the law of sowing and reaping cause and effect, what you put in comes out. It it sure does. For better or for worse. <laughs> for,
0: for better or for worse. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully for better. Hopefully this conversation has encouraged our listeners to where to, um, more good will come out because of it. That's my hope. Good. Good. As, as, we, as we wrap or move to, to land the plane, final thoughts from you, anything you want to share? And then I've got one final thing to ask you.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I think. You know, somebody is going to help me succeed, I want to know where they're coming from. And so everything we do in our coaching is with a Christian worldview in mind. I love the independence of being a, a small business owner, but here's how I define success. I think success is really three things. First and foremost, success is uh, purposeful. Um, success is not an accident, in other words. So success is deliberately choosing something and then executing it. So success is, is a planned outcome. And the number two, success is about stewardship. So we've all been given talent and opportunities and it's not so much about where you get to but how far you've come to paraphrase Booker T. Washington. And it's, and we we the the quality of stewardship is often associated with finances, and that's very important. But I like to associate it with your potential. What are you capable of? You know, if you can, if you can earn an A, you should, you should uh, have an A. It's kind of I'll you brought up Jim Rohn. I love Jim Rohn. He he was asked one time, you know, uh, how wealthy should somebody be and he goes as wealthy as they can be and i don't believe there's an exclusion for christians i can't find one i find that god uh, throughout the bible rewards those who follow his directives with wealth whether that's kingdoms or camels uh, he does that but we the wealth can't have us so i just like to focus on stewardship and the third thing is your success blesses others So I'm motivated because I believe that if I'm successful, then that's going to have a ripple effect throughout my circle, my community, maybe my country, maybe the world. If I'm unsuccessful when I could have been successful, I'm not a good steward and I have less influence in the world. So success is not an accident. Success is about stewardship. And then your success blesses others that motivates my clients to want to expand their territory, not settle for good enough.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Um, I, I know I told you I have one more question. Um, uh, we got time. I actually have more than one. Go as for it. As, as you were talking, I was thinking about what you do and specific to, to um, people of faith, to, to Christian entrepreneurs, and how does that, what does that look like for them Monday through Friday? Are you encouraging teaching marketplace ministry? Um, cause wherever we're planted, that's where we're called to minister, to serve, to be, to be the pastor, whether it's in our business or teaching a classroom or coaching. I think whatever. So with your clients, is there an aspect of your program that helps them
1: learn to do that? you know um i look at my work as a ministry and most of my clients look at whatever they do as a ministry some are like so overt and specific i'm thinking of a client now who's who develops apartment homes but he develops apartment homes as christian communities and he's upfront about it you know there's no that can't force anybody to, you know, to, to think or to believe, but that's the stipulation that it's done. And the caretakers of the property um, come from that, that mindset and that faith, and they have events and everybody in the community, we're talking about thousands, you know, are sent monthly devotionals. So he's created an opportunity by doing well to then share the gospel throughout his 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 uh, day-to-day work but he does it in a way that doesn't that that is welcoming and doesn't run people off but also not like the big corporate world does where they go the opposite direction and so we don't specifically have like a 10-point plan for how you uh integrate your ministry into your business but it's something that comes from our community and dialoguing and masterminding hey how do we how do we reflect the Lord in all that we do? And how do we expose our team, our clients? How do we boldly proclaim our faith? Because one of the things I think that makes it tough today in this country is so many people are scared to be bold. That doesn't really make sense, but I guess they're not bold. They're just scared. And so, and maybe for good reason, but nonetheless. I, I, I encourage people to be bold. What I hear, and I was telling somebody this last week, is when when I will just, it's not like I have to preach the Bible, but when I just say something that to me is so obviously true, when I like say, you know, that, that way is up, or, you know, uh, this is West, um, or cause and effect, or you're more focused with goals. In other words, people are coming up to me more and more frequently saying, thank you for sharing the truth. Mm-hmm. Thank you for speaking the truth. And again, they're not, they're not just speaking directly about a Bible verse directly. They're just generally saying, thank you for being somebody that tells the truth when it's not popular to tell the truth. So to me, that's an encouragement. I know some people are in a bind where they work, they can't do that. But for all of us that are entrepreneurs and we're independent, I think we have a higher calling to share the truth. And then when we get the right opportunity with discernment to share our faith, but always we can share the truth.
0: Always can share the truth. So, and you touched on something I think is so important. Um, It's this fear factor that we've, uh, call it the media, call it society, call it whatever you want. I've met a number, enough business owners to know that this is pretty common. They're afraid that they're like, they need, like they believe they're not allowed to share their faith at work. And so, so thank you for, for what you do and for being able to speak the truth. And again, I think you can have something else. It's not that you're reading the Bible to them. You're just being a servant leader yes. and, and living according to the, the morals and the principles that are laid out in, in your faith. And that, and it's really as simple as that. You're leading with love.
1: Um, and I think we do. We all do well to earn. What is the phrase? Earn the right to be heard. You know. So you live your life. You don't even have to open your mouth very much, but you live your life according to biblical principles, biblical truth, and then I think God is going to open some opportunities for you to open your mouth and for people to be receptive at that point because they've watched you. Year after year, or month after month, and then when it, when the right moment hits, they're ready. They've been they've been prepared to hear what you're going to say just by watching your example.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, so thank you for doing that in your endeavors, Tommy. My my last question for you is: You're you're a coach. Um, what's one important or impactful question that you would leave with our listeners? What should folks be pondering?
1: What's a practical question that folks should be pondering? Is that the question? Uh what's
0: well, you said practical, I said important or impactful?
1: Okay, what, all right. <laughs> what's um, the
0: question we should have on our minds.
1: Yeah. Uh here's here's one that I like to ask. What's the greatest goal? What's the most magnificent goal that you and God can reach over the next three years? What's the most magnificent goal that you and God could reach? In other words, I'm not saying you're guaranteed, but what's the most magnificent goal that you and God could reach over the next 36 months?
0: That is an incredible question. Perfect. Uh, For folks that want to uh, get to know you better, connect
1: with you, reach out to you, Tommy, what's the best way to find you? Best way to go is TommyNewberry.com. Just like it sounds, TommyNewberry.com. Track me down pretty easy, I hope. And uh, you can learn about our different coaching opportunities and our books are on Amazon, but tommynewberry.com is probably the best hub. Perfect.
0: And in the show notes, there's a link to that to that website as well as a couple other places. So just look at the show notes and find those Tommy, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. enjoyed it, Todd. Thanks for having me. You bet. Hey listeners, especially big thanks to you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream God has put in your heart, remember, you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, and live life strong. Peace. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life.com and I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.